0: Well, good morning. We are so glad you're here. I'm Caitlin Stigler, and I'm the kids director here at Mercy Hill Church. And I just want to say welcome, whether you're in person or on the live stream, we are really, really glad you're here. Um, I just pray today that you would meet with Jesus. Um, I pray that if you are in just a place of pain and hurt, that you would meet with Jesus. I pray that if you're in a place of contentment and just hopefulness that you would meet with Jesus— I pray that if you're in a place of joy, that you would meet with Jesus, that we are all here to gather together and to be refueled so that we can go out and be on mission um, in a world, a world that right now feels really heavy. So I just pray that you would feel encouraged and just meet with the Lord this morning. Um, We, again, are just glad you're here and glad you are worshiping with us. We are um, going to, in just a minute, we're going to be able to watch a kid's video. So kids, we're excited that we um, have kind of two things. Sometimes we're going to watch a video for the kid's story, and sometimes someone's going to come up here and read it. But we just hope that you are paying attention and just see Jesus and learn more about him. So I'm going to pray for us. And then, um, yeah, we're going to turn our um, view to the screen so we can see the video. Let's pray. God, we do just come and we just recognize that you are God, that you are creator, you are sustainer. God, you give life and breath and hope. Um, Sometimes when we, everything around us just doesn't feel that way. We know that we can trust you and trust in your promises and in your goodness so god i just pray that you would bring us to a place today where we can recognize you and all that you're doing around us i pray that we would feel your presence that we would be encouraged that we would find joy and community with one another and god that we um would just rest in you so thank you for all that you have gathered thank you for our kiddos thank you um Just for families that are represented, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us now. We love you. It's in your son's name.
1: Amen. Filled full. There were once 5,000 tired and hungry and probably very grumpy people sitting on a hillside wanting their dinner. They'd come to hear Jesus that day. They came before breakfast, stayed all morning, all afternoon, and way past dinner. No one had meant to be out there that long, but that's how it was, listening to Jesus, as if time didn't exist. People could listen to Jesus for hours, and on this particular day, that's just what they did. But they hadn't brought enough food, and they couldn't just go and buy themselves a burger and fries to go, because, of course, they were in the middle of nowhere with no shops or restaurants. Uh, Besides, that kind of food wasn't invented yet. What would they do? Jesus' friends had an idea. Let's send everyone home for dinner. They don't need to go, Jesus said. You can give them something to eat. Did Jesus want them to travel all the way to town and buy food for everyone? Jesus' friends panicked. But we don't have enough money. What food do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. Now, there was a little boy in the crowd. He had brought a lunch that his mother had made for him that morning. He looked at his five loaves and two fish. It wasn't much. Well, (laughs) not nearly enough for 5,000. But it was all he had. I have some, he said. Jesus' friends laughed when they saw his little lunch. That's not nearly enough, they said. But they were wrong. Jesus knew it didn't matter how much the little boy had. God would make it enough, more than enough. Jesus said, bring me what you have. And so the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. Jesus winked at the little boy and whispered in his ear, watch. Watch. How in the world will Jesus feed everyone with just that, Jesus' friends said, because they thought it was impossible. But Jesus knew the one who made all the fish in the oceans, and Jesus knew the one who in the very beginning had made everything out of nothing at all. How hard would something like this be for someone like that? Jesus took the little boy's lunch, looked up to heaven and thanked his father. Then Jesus gave the little lunch back to his friends. As Jesus' his friends started to hand out the food, do you know what? It was the strangest thing. No matter how much they broke off, there was always more, and more, and more! Enough for five thousand! Everyone ate as much as they wanted. A second helpings, third helpings, even fourths, until they were full, and still they were leftovers. Well, Jesus did many miracles like this. Things people thought couldn't happen, that weren't natural. But it was the most natural thing in all the world. It's what God had been doing from the beginning, of course, taking the nothing and making it everything, taking the emptiness and filling it up, taking the darkness and making it light.
2: If you would just, uh, well first off, um, I've been listening to this podcast recently that uh, has been really encouraging called Ask Pastor John. And this week he talked about love versus wrath, God's love and God's wrath. And he mentioned something that really stuck with me, like his love is only so amazing if you take into account the wrath and the mercy that got you that love. And Chris brought up a good thing this morning of like a, uh, a scale. You can't have more wrath than you have love because God's love is so great that His wrath is no more on you and His Son has saved you. So let's pray this morning that um, that, that would be a reminder for us And think about things of this week, um, things that you need to pray to him asking for forgiveness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new day. Thank you for an opportunity to worship you. And God, as we, we come before you, we're so thankful for the love and mercy that keeps us away from your wrath. God, we're so thankful for the sun outside. And we're thankful for a building to worship in. This building is not a church, as we all know, but God, that that you have made us the church through your son. And God, we want to lift up um, all the awful things that seem to be going on all around us, whether it's a a virus or um, just a hostile situation in Afghanistan, uh, or even um, one of the things that we talked about this morning during practice uh, with this COVID time, you know, it's so easy for people who are addicted to fall back into that addiction, who have gone through recovery. And God, it's just such an easy time for that to just fall to the wayside, that recovery. So God, we, we want to pray for those people too, people who are addicted to something. God, we want to lift them up. God, give them community through uh, your people. Uh, give them community through your word. And so we want to lift up all of these things. In your name I pray, Amen.
0: So our next step in our liturgy is moving from confession to assurance of pardon. And as assured as we all are standing here breathing oxygen in and out, we can be assured that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he will forgive our sins. If we believe that he died on the cross for us, that we can stand here with certainty and full assurance that he loves us and that our sins have been forgiven. So let me read from Acts chapter 10 this morning. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins
3: through his name. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth that We've been reminded of this morning as we sing. God, as we sing that we just want you. Father, we pray that this would be the cry of our hearts. God, we look around in the world and we are reminded of how much heartache, how much sin has broken the world, how much hurt there is. And Father, all of these God, are opportunities for us to recognize that our hope only comes from the one who is everlasting. Jesus, you are our hope. And so we pray for nations who are experiencing loss and turmoil. We pray for Haiti. We pray for Afghanistan. God, we pray for our U.S. soldiers who are serving there. We pray for the Afghan people who are struggling. We pray for Christians who are there. God, we pray that you would embolden pastors. God, that you would give them courage that only comes from your spirit. God, we pray for our own nation as we continue to experience a pandemic. And God, all the things that come from that, we pray for Louisiana and those states that will be affected by the hurricane that's making landfall now. God, we pray for a lo- that there would not be a loss of human life. We pray that you would weaken that storm. God, we pray for your mercy. God, you are the God of all mercy. You're the God of all comfort. You're our everlasting Father. You promise to care for us. You promise to give us good gifts as we learn to sit at your feet and to receive your love. God, as we look at the book of Philippians, teach us what it means to abound in your love today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. While you're turning there, just want to say thanks to those of you who were able to make it out yesterday to volunteer with us. We're working on the family room, which is immediately behind the sanctuary to your right. And we're we're taking that room from out of what I call kind of a, a post-Civil War era decoration style. Um, I think it was the curtains maybe. But we painted yesterday and we're remodeling and we're excited to have that space. Not only as a family room slash cry room on Sunday mornings or for kids who are just too energetic to sit still. The live stream is available in that room and then also to have it as a room that missional communities can use or coffee groups can use or adults can use while their kids are at youth group. So it'll just be a multi-purpose room and uh, we're going to be finishing out with furniture and decoration in the next couple of weeks. You'll also notice the awning is missing from downstairs. That's going to be going up uh, this next week, the exterior awning. And so we're making some improvements on the building. we're in the process of working with the elevator company to get the elevator working, which is really important for anyone who's handicapped and shows up to worship with us. We've been working on that for a little while, but we're, we're making progress there. And so there's things that are taking place within the building. And um, <clears throat> this is kind of random, but I would just ask you, it's random that I would mention it today. It's not, it's not random. I would ask you that you would just pray with us. That over the next months or years to come, that if God would have us to buy this building, um, that he would give us that opportunity. We lease this building from an individual who owns it that we have a very good relationship with. I I talked with him for 90 minutes on Friday. And um, so, just pray with us toward that. It's very possible the rate at which he bought this building is less expensive than the majority, if not all, of the houses in this neighborhood. So it would be a possibility, but we would need God's leadership. So pray with us in that. Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. The book of Philippians is... The theme is all about joy. We see in this book what a joy-filled life looks like. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I think that we would all agree that in the day and time in which we live, that we could all use a little more joy. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Yeah? May, maybe a lot more joy. I, I saw an article this last week that a friend posted on social media from The Atlantic. Let me read the, the conclusion of the article to you. It's about the pandemic. It says, All this and parents are somehow expected to be okay? We're expected to send our kids off into God knows what. To work our jobs and live our lives like nothing's wrong. And to hold it all together for months and maybe now years without ever seeing a way out. This is not okay. Nothing is okay. No parent is okay. And I'm not sure how we come back from this. Parents aren't even at a breaking point anymore. We're broken. And yet we'll go on because that's what we do. We sweep up all our pieces and put them back together as best we can. We carry on chipped and leaking and broken because we have no other choice. And we pray that if we can just keep going, our kids will survive too. Now. There's no doubt that the pandemic has been difficult on all of us. And it's affected individuals at a lot of different levels. But, but I was surprised as my friend shared this article. And the summary had that conclusion. It, and it just kind of caught me off guard. Because I thought, you know, there's a big difference between sadness and hopelessness. And this article lands on hopelessness. This article lands on devastation. This article says there's no coming back. And I just thought like what's the difference in someone's life that the same experiences that we're having would cause them to not experience sadness but to experience hopelessness. And I think the answer is very simple. It's the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus. And that's what Paul writes about in the letter that we're looking at today. Paul writes about the hope that we have in Jesus. That despite anything that we can found, like the psalmist would say, that we aren't lacking. In Psalm 23 he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning, There is no circumstance that we will face in life if we lived as a Christian in Afghanistan, if we lived as a Christian in Haiti, if we live as a Christian in America facing a pandemic, that there is no moment in which we are wanting if our hope is in Jesus. You say, how could that be possible? Well, it's possible because He's redeemed us. It's possible because He's forgiven us. It's possible because He's placed His Spirit within us that even if we do face death, that we can face it with courage because our hope is not found in this life. The problem is that most of us know we're supposed to believe that, but we don't act that way and we don't live that way. Paul's letter presents to us A prayer that he prays, we're going to look at it beginning in verse 8. And Paul teaches us today, what do we pray for ourselves when we are facing struggle? I'm going to move this over because I know I'm going to whack it. What, What do we pray for ourselves when we are facing circumstances in which there is loss? And there is struggle, and there is hurt, and there is loneliness. Because that's, who, that's what Paul was facing. He was imprisoned. He was waiting for a trial. And that's what many of our lives feel like. And Paul, interestingly enough, prays for growth. Paul prays that we would look like Jesus. Let's look at it, beginning in verse 8. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, that's not to be interpreted the way that many of you would read it. Many of you would read it and say, for God is my witness. As if Paul is swearing, like on my mother's grave. For God is my witness, because... He's saying that he longs for the church and he loves the church. And you're thinking, he must be saying for God is my witness if he's saying he loves the church. Because I can barely put up with the church. Right? Like he's saying, on my mother's grave, I promise. Because I'm so affectionate for them. And you're going, affectionate? I can barely show up. There's people that get on my nerves. All these people posting on social media. All their opinions and I can barely make it at that place anymore. That place in life called the church. Which is not a place, it's who you are. How does Paul say that he longs for them? And if you look at the root of this word, he says that with God as my witness, I yearn, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection is the word Literally, you ready? Intestines. Internal organs. Paul is saying, with all of my guts, I long for you. And you've been there. That's not, not weird. Go back to high school. Why are you looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about? Go back to high school. Guys, she said, I don't want to be your girlfriend anymore. And where did it hurt? Well, it hurt your pride, but where it really hurt was right here. Oh man, it's like she kicked you in the gut, right? I long for you with the affection, with the guts. I long for you in my guts, like Christ Jesus. Now, how? How could Paul do this? It's Ten years ago when he started this church, how does he have such great affection and I know a lot of you are probably like me. You read the Bible and you go, "They just have such a much, more positive spin on the church than what I experienced. Like, what, what went wrong with us? You know, like you start trying to lead in the church and it's like herding cats. Not hurting cats. That's what you want to do. Herding cats. Which I don't know if anyone has ever tried to herd cats. But it's a great saying because we all know what would happen. But that's what it feels like a lot of times. But Paul is saying, I love these people. How? I think it's connected to his heart. Because Paul. We can't think of Paul as he writes this letter. We can't think of him as the Apostle Paul. In order to understand Paul's heart. We have to think of him as enemy number one of Jesus Christ. We have to think of Paul the murderer. We have to think of Paul the man who... Hated Jesus more than anyone and should have been on God's number one hit list. And he was. And God reached out to him in love. And he met him on the Damascus Road. And everything in Paul's life changed. Right? But that, that moment of but God. You've all had those moments in your life? Those moments that can only be described as but God? I mean, that's, that's my life in general. I grew up in small town Alabama, racist Alabama. I had no desire to move out of the state or ever go to college. I have a master's degree. I've traveled all over the world sharing Jesus and I live in an urban corridor. Like this is the furthest life from redneck Alabama that I grew up in. You say, Brad, how did you wind up here? But God. But God. And by the grace of God that There has been some fruit that has come from that. And we all have those experiences in our life. But God, and that was Paul. And Paul ministered out of that loving relationship. Now, let's dig in real quick. Paul's prayer for growth here is he's longing for Christians to be like Jesus. And he longs for us to be like Jesus. So in the midst of suffering, he prays. And I want you to notice a few things that he doesn't pray for the Philippians. Okay? So Paul doesn't pray that they would make budget and that they would have large financial givers or millionaires that would come into the church. Okay, just going to point out, he doesn't pray for that. He doesn't pray for more evangelism and baptisms. He doesn't pray for that. He doesn't pray for more volunteers and disciple makers. I don't understand that because we're always saying we need more volunteers, right? He doesn't even pray, it. He doesn't even pray for people to have their quiet time. You can smile. Maybe you are. I can't see your face. Paul, look at verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. In order for growth to take place in our life, love is the seed that produces growth. That's the first point. Love is the seed that produces growth. And what we're going to see in this text is that in verse 9, Paul gives us the seed that produces growth, but then he's going to give us a trellis that our love grows on. And that trellis is made up of knowledge and discernment that helps our love to be fruitful. You know, we all need love. The Beatles, Ben, we were talking about that this last week. The Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. It was so popular. And in a lot of ways, that is correct. But we have to define what we mean by love, right? And so we all need love because being loved grounds us. When we're loved, we have an experience of belonging. So much so that... If infants are not loved, if they are not touched by their caregivers during the early stages of their life, they will not thrive. They will not thrive physically. They will not grow physically. They will not grow mentally. In fact, they will regress. And if it goes on long enough, just you can go to the Ukraine in the past and see orphanages there. And you can see what happened to babies who were only changed, you know, occasionally and rarely touched. And mental retardation is the result. Love gr- grounds us. So being loved is what is, is what grounds us, is so important for us that relational attachment is essential for physical survival and all future psychological and spiritual development. Without that primitive experience of belonging or of being grounded in love our life just unravels. And our physical and spiritual growth are really no different. You know God created us as spiritual beings in physical bodies. And when we begin to separate those two we get into some weird heresies like Gnosticism. So, but oftentimes we will separate those two. Why is it that we so often act as if or even believe that we could be spiritually healthy alone when God said it is not good that we should be alone? I want you to think back to Adam and Eve for just a minute in the the garden, right? Have you ever thought about the fact that While there was paradise and sin had not yet entered the world, even though Adam's relationship with God at the time was perfect, have you ever thought about the fact that God created us in such a way that even though sin hadn't entered the world and God's relationship with Adam was perfect, God created us in such a way that he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good. That you would be alone. There's no animal here that will satisfy you. And Adam. I have made you in such a way. That even my relationship with you. Now this doesn't show that God is inadequate. But that God created our world in such a way. That we. He created us in need of relationship. Why do you think he did that? So that we would be constantly reminded. Of our need for relationship with Him. Why is it that we believe. That we need physical relationship to thrive. But that somehow we can thrive spiritually. Without relationships. Love is grounded through our relationships. And love is the seed for growth. We need love just like. We need air, just like we need water, just like we need food. And we find that love through relationships. But here's the problem. Our earthly relationships are not enough. Because we need a love that embraces the whole of who we are and what we are. We long for a love that embraces and holds The bright side of who we are as well as the dark shadow side that we like to keep hidden away. And there is no earthly relationship that can embrace the whole of all that we are. We long for a love that accepts us as is. You know you go to the stores and it used to be. I don't even know if they really do this anymore. Maybe there are complete stores that are as is stores now. Um. But it used to be that in department stores, in the back, there was a corner and there was a sign that said, as is. And you knew if you shopped on that rack that you couldn't bring it back. Something was wrong with it, but it was like half price or a quarter price and you bought it as is. And that's how each of us come to God. We each come to God as is. Broken, dirty, weary, heavy laden, a mess, sinners, Tired and lost. And God transforms us as we surrender our lives to Him. And this is a love that's that's anchored not in our striving. It's a love that's not anchored in our accomplishments. And see, that's where we go wrong. That same sense of belonging that we need as children continues as adults. And we look for that sense of belonging or that sense of identity Oftentimes in other people or in our successes. And when our identity becomes rooted in other people, it's called codependency. When it becomes rooted in our successes, it's called idolatry. And it's never enough. Only when we're grounded in the love of the Father. Only when we come to see that it's not something that we can strive in order to gain, but it only comes through surrender that we can receive God's love. I think for most Christians, growing in Christ is really rare because they try to grow in Christ the same way that they try to grow in the world. They realize their insufficiencies and so they strive and they try harder. They find the latest program the latest software, the latest curriculum. And they say, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps one more time. I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to give more. I'm going to volunteer more. I'm going to do all the things that Paul doesn't pray for. Paul prays that we would abound in love. The love that's already been given to us. Let me encourage you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That verse says you're new in Christ. That verse says that all the struggles that you've had in the past, all your temptations, all your sin, they can be overcome through the work of Christ, that you are new, that God sees you as a new creation. Listen to 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Our lives as Christians, they're mainly meant to just work out what God has already worked in us. We're called to become what we are. What we already are. It's not something that we strive to become. It's who we are. That we would live into the identity. So Paul introduces this, this idea of a trellis in which our love grows and that it abounds. The, the first part of that trellis is knowledge. Now, look back at a verse 9. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. Knowledge. So first off, let me just back up and say really quick, he prays that love would abound. He doesn't say who the love is directed towards. Is it directed toward God or is it directed toward other people? Yes. I think it's mostly directed toward other people because if you look at his introductions to all his other letters, he usually prays that people would love one another. And so as our love for God is realized, our love for others always abounds. But the problem is that we need to know how our love can flourish. Have you ever known people that were just reckless with their love? That they just went out and just gave everybody a hug and just were wide open and vulnerable all the time. Gave their money away freely, constantly, without question. Those type of people usually get burned. It's unwise. And Paul says that our love needs to abound first in knowledge. So 20 times in the New Testament, he says that he uses this word for knowledge. And it's it's knowledge of the things of God. It's religious knowledge, spiritual knowledge, theological knowledge. It's the idea of Seeing things rightly. The idea of getting um, to the heart of the matter. Seeing things as they really are. So Paul is picturing here for the church in Philippi. He is picturing that every Christian would be a student who is growing in the knowledge of God. Isn't that so different than the Western church today as we look. And we raise up teachers who are great teachers so they can teach us. And we don't really have to be students. But Paul is presenting this idea that every Christian is a student. In fact, it's one of the marks of a new believer. That we are hungry for knowledge of God. And it's just been interesting. Uh, Recently we've baptized several people. And I can point to conversations with each of them or conversations that I've heard in which they essentially have said, how do I grow in the knowledge of God? How do I learn the scriptures? How do I know how to study this book? They begin asking that question because that's one of the marks of a new believer that they would grow in the knowledge of God. That's part of being a new creation. God's love has been poured into us. We're fascinated with it. We're amazed by it. It's extraordinary. He saved us. We love him. Because he loved us. And so we want to know him more. That we would grow in the knowledge of God. Because with knowledge of the gospel comes love for God. Without knowledge there is no love. And so if you say, hey. I'm just really struggling with, you know, receiving God's love. Let me just ask the question. Are you doing the hard work of growing in the knowledge of God? And I say hard work because... The Bible uses words that are hard. It uses words like Christians are farmers or Christians are soldiers or Christians are athletes. Like none of those things are easy. It takes work to grow in the knowledge of God. But there's result. So the first trellis for our love to grow is knowledge. The second is discernment. Because let's be honest, knowledge isn't enough. We all know people who've grown in knowledge. And actually as they grow in knowledge, they become less loving. Right? And so in order for us to really love and for our love to abound, we have to grow also in discernment. That's the second trellis that frames the seed of love. So let me just say this real quick. If you look at this trellis that's framing the seed of love and you come in contact with people who are growing in knowledge, but they're not growing in discernment, Then you're going to think of it as a ladder. They're going to be in real trouble. And you've had mentors in the past who are like this. They grew in knowledge of the Bible. But they weren't in relationship with people. And when I say relationship with people. They didn't have accountability in their life that they submitted themselves to. They weren't open and vulnerable. They placed themselves above everyone else. And if you don't have that second ladder, which is discernment, which only comes in relationship, that ladder will fall off the wall every time. So the second part of the trellis is discernment. It could also be described as insight or how this knowledge of truth affects daily life. Right? So you've known people before that are like brainiacs when it comes to the Bible. But then... You try to introduce them to like your friend who's barely ever attended church and they're just awkward as all get out. Like they say offensive things and you're just like, oh my gosh, why did I ever connect the two of you? You have no idea how to take the knowledge that God's given you and apply it to life. That is discernment. A lack of discernment probably shows up best on Christian bumper stickers. Let's just be honest. So I'm going to throw a couple of them out that just illustrate a lack of discernment. Uh, one of my favorites, this is the shortest, is just turn or burn. Turn or burn. Okay, lack of discernment. Another one, hell is real. How I many of you have seen that one? Or maybe you see these on billboards. One of, my, one of my favorite billboards, we would see it every year on the way to, be, to the beach. It was in Alabama. It had a picture it had a symbol of a man with horns. It was red. He was red. And he had um, the tool that the Grim Reaper uses. Yeah. The scythe or whatever that tool is called. None of us use them. So. Um, and it said, go to church or the devil will get you. Some of y'all have seen this. Because you, you, it gives you something to talk about for the next 30 minutes. Every time you ride by that one on the way to the beach. Now... While those statements may be true, the lack of discernment is that they're rarely helpful. In fact, they're probably the opposite. See, truth without relationship usually wounds. But the opposite is also true. That that if you're using discernment and if people are open to hearing the truth, I mean, Jesus could turn to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. And Peter goes, whoa, I messed that up. But Peter didn't leave. It didn't break relationship because there was trust there. And so as you think about this in our own lives, I just, I'm, I'm headed toward home here. I want you to think about what does it look like for me for love to abound in my heart, particularly in the society in which we live. One of the ways that this will help you is I want you to think about social media for a moment. I think social media is very helpful in enabling us to see what's been in our heart all along. Social media has simply presented a platform where we're willing to let the ugliness of our heart come out in front of people and not be ashamed of it. And so I want you to think about if you are abounding in love and if you have knowledge of God with discernment. What does that look like when it comes to your character? So if you're going to post something, for instance, on social media, you should be asking questions. And let social media kind of be like, not just social media, but this is conversations I have in life. This is conversations I have with my lost friends. This is kind of how I think about living out the Christian life. Does this glorify Christ? Does this promote the kingdom of God in a positive manner? Does this help to win souls and make disciples? Because that should be, as a follower of Jesus, our primary emphasis. Not my primary emphasis. Our primary emphasis. See, I've been a church planter for the last 20 years. That means I show up in a city. I've done it three times. I show up in a city know very few people and depend on God and the Holy Spirit and His Word to somehow transform people's lives, grow a congregation in such a way that a church is thriving. That means every time I talk to people, every time I post something on social media, every time I live Any part of my life, I'm thinking, does this help to further the kingdom of God and to grow Jesus' church, or does this do the opposite? Let me tell you a secret. The role that I play and the role that you play are no different. We're all missionaries. I just happen to get paid to do mine during the day. You get paid by someone else to do yours. I just happen to get paid by the church to do mine. Your school teacher, you're doing that for Jesus. He's your boss. Your lawyer, you're doing that for Jesus. He's your boss. You should be thinking about every comment and conversation. And you should think, is love abounding in this? Does this grow the knowledge of God? And is it wise? So when you think about that, when your character... Or, does this reflect self-serving consumerism? Or does it reflect servant-hearted humility? The majority of posts that I see on social media reflect consumerism and selfishness. They don't promote the kingdom of God. Also, as we look at this, I want you to think about Is my love abounding in the way that I'm having conversations with people? In the way that I'm living life? Or am I promoting causes other than the cause of Jesus Christ? Is the cause of Jesus Christ foremost in my life? Or has there been some other theological cause that's become greater than the gospel? Has there become some other cultural cause that's become greater than the gospel? Has legalism become greater than the gospel? Has license, taking advantage of God's grace, become greater than the gospel? All of these things relate to being wise and having discernment. And it's all grounded in relationship in love. You can't be humble apart from relationships and you can't be discerning apart from relationships. Okay? So if you say, hey, I live alone on a deserted island, but I'm really humble. You can't make that claim. Like you just can't. And in the same way, if you say, I do life as a Lone Ranger Christian. I'm not in community, but I have a lot of knowledge and I have a lot of discernment. You can't say that. That's like because you can't see yourself, right? That's why you need friends. When you have something in your nose, can you see it? No, that's what friends are for. Hey, bruh, got a bat in the cave. Oh, thanks, man. You're a really good friend. Like, right? You can't see yourself. And in the same way, we can't have discernment on our own. It's why we need community. Knowledge is not enough. We need discernment as well. Why? <clears throat> so let's end. Look at verse 10. All for the purpose so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of of Christ. We can get in real trouble really quickly here so that you may approve what is excellent. Paul is saying that you may approve what is best and that you'll be pure and blameless. A lot of Christians read this and they go, uh-oh, I, I'm gonna be excellent. I'm gonna look different. And we should look different, but be careful. Without a trellis we would love everyone. Without a trellis we would give to everyone. Without a trellis of knowledge and discernment, we would try to share the gospel with everyone and that would be unwise. We would be burned out, broke, and probably beaten up. We need knowledge and discernment. So Paul prays that we'll be able to approve what is excellent or best so that we'll be blameless as we prepare for Jesus' return. And there's two dangers as we do that. The first danger is that we forget all about growth. Because that's what Paul's praying for. He's praying in the midst of suffering, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of loss and heartache. He's praying, God, I pray they'll grow. I pray they'll look like Jesus. Because if they look like Jesus, they're going to have joy. And most of us forget all about growth and being different. And we just end up reflecting the ways of the world. With a little Christian gloss or facade on top. Which looks like showing up at a gathering occasionally. Easter, Christmas, not really being that involved. It looks like the average Western churchgoer. Not even going to say Christian. They show up at an event. They give a little money. That's the easiest way to serve in American society. They give a little money. Maybe they give a little bit of their time. And then the church helps them around Christmas. They go, oh, we're going to make a difference in all these poor kids' lives. And if you'll give this money... Then we're going to give all these backpacks away. And we're going to do all these good things. And we're going to help you feel good about yourself. That's what the Western church does. It's not Christianity. So we will either be tempted to believe we're Christians. Because we're successful in the way that the world counts success. Or we'll run to the opposite extreme. And we'll say we're supposed to be pure and blameless. So that means... That we're going to value being different for the sake of being different. You've known Christians like this. They're just weird. Like they give all their stuff away for no reason at all. They're just like a Christian can't have a lot of stuff. Where does it say that in the Bible? you just, you know, the Christians just can't have a lot of stuff. And so they give all their stuff away and they take some kind of different stance than everyone else. They have like these crusades in their life and they're like, we're called to look different. And it's like, yeah, you're called to look different, but you're not called to look weird for the sake of being weird, right? And so neither of these ways of living result in joy. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I just want you to ask a question. Am I living with joy? Because Christians are different not because of what we do. Don't miss this. Christians are different because God is our source of life. Christians are different because Jesus has poured grace into our life. He's given us wisdom as we live in community. As we have knowledge and discernment. We aren't different for the sake of being different. And we aren't different to be weird. We're different... And as we are, he says in verse 11, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And the last point is this Paul says he ends with a harvest. And the last point is for you to think on. Are you seeing a harvest in your life right now? Yeah, we're in the midst of a pandemic, it's been a tough year and a half. Are you seeing a life that's filled with joy? See, love always results in fruit from our lives. I think so often we make Christianity about doing more, but God's greatest desire is to love us and for each of us to learn to receive His love and to abide in Him. Because when that happens, when we really receive God's love and learn to abide in Him, everything else seems to take, place, seems to take care of itself. That's so why Paul doesn't have to say, are going to pray for millionaires, you going to pray for volunteers, you going to pray that you'll have your quiet time. No, all that stuff takes care of itself when we really receive God's love and we learn to abide in His love. I bet if you aren't receiving God's love right now, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money if I was a better. That if you aren't receiving God's love right now, it's because if you will hit the rewind tape and look at your life, there is someone in your life that you are refusing to extend forgiveness and love to. I can almost guarantee it. If you aren't experiencing God's love, there is someone, I just want you to think, Love is the growing point. Without it, there can be no fruit of holiness inside us or outside of us. I want you to just consider this question. Where is joy and the fruit of righteousness being blocked in your life because you failed to love? Where is joy and the fruit of righteousness being blocked in your life because you have failed to love? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love that you have shown us. God, a love that could take a murderer, a love that could take a guy that's like, like Hitler was to the Jews is what Paul was like to Christians and to you, God. But a love that could take him and could transform him. Not simply to change him to make him better. Not simply to change him just to forgive him. But to set him on a path to be the greatest apostle ever. God, what an amazing power and love. That same power and love that is at work in our lives. God, I pray for us during this amazingly difficult season. This time in which it's so easy to harbor anger and hurt this time in which it's so easy to be lonely, God, would you enable us to capture joy by releasing the hurts, the disruption, the evil that others have done to us. God, releasing that and giving it to you Offering forgiveness to those who don't deserve forgiveness in the same way that we didn't deserve forgiveness. God, in order that we might abound in your love, in order that we might be filled with a joy that surpasses any difficult circumstances, in order that we could be found in a place where we are not lacking, but that we are overflowing. God, we want to live those kind of lives. God, I I also want to pray for people who are in the room. God, who need to love themselves. Who have no problem killing themselves for the sake of others and, and going out of their way for the sake of others. But just struggle to know and receive your love and really struggle to love themselves. God, would you just pour out your love on them right now? God, I over the rest of this day and tomorrow, would you in your intimate and individual way show them ways in which they are loved, that they would know that it's right from your hand. God, that they would feel your warmth. That they would see you like a good father who desires and loves and really likes their kids and is proud of them because that's who you are for us, God. God. Thank you for your love. Help us receive it that we can walk in joy. God, meet us during this time as we remember your love for us through communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me invite you uh, to take communion with your missional community. So we're gonna circle up for the next five minutes in five little groups. If you're not part of a missional community, just find a group that's near you. Communion is... A time in which we worship as believers. So if you're a believer, we welcome you to take communion with us. And then the band will lead us. One last song. All right, folks, we're going to sing one last song. This last song we sing, Jesus is Better. And so I just want you to think about some of the things that you're tempted to rely on for hope and joy. And just be reminded this week that Jesus is better. And I want to invite you, even though you have a mask on, I want to invite you to sing it like you believe it.
4: I've continued to believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And that believing the truths of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection are unbelievably transformative to all who put their trust in Him. And yet, This last season, I've discovered that there were greater depths for me to find Jesus meeting my longings and need. I had learned over years to shut down my heart, the feelings that were a gift from God to make me aware of my deep need and longing for Jesus. This last year, I had the privilege with Tin Man Ministries, founded by Jeff Schulte, to learn how to re-engage my heart, to listen to the voice of my heart, and to learn, as Jesus said, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And yet, I had shut down my sadness, my hurt, my pain, my longings, and as a result, I was missing out on so many of the ways that Jesus wanted to bring healing to my heart, satisfy the longings of my soul, and bring deep, deep satisfaction to places I had never thought He would meet me in. You know, I want you to know that I, along with Jeff Schulte, are so committed to helping you engage your heart again, maybe for the first time, in such a way that you will find Jesus meeting you in new ways. We're gonna travel around the country, speaking together, encouraging you to engage in Jesus in ways that your heart has been longing for for a long time. Would you please join us as we together meet Jesus satisfying our deepest longings?
0: Yes, so that is the Saturate the South event that we have been talking about over and over and over. It's September 18th right here at Mercy Hill. Um, If you will please go online and register. So if you go to the Mercy Hill website um, and then scroll all the way down, um, you will be able to register for that event. We do still need three volunteers. So if you will see Samantha, if you would like to volunteer, we still need three. And also, um, we if you didn't get the MailChimp that was sent out, you see Samantha so we can be sure that you're on the communication. List as well. So we need three volunteers. If you didn't get an email with the mailchimp, um, please go ahead and see Samantha. Um, I can't think of a better way to end our service than to talk about um, what next week. So we're going to have a baptism service next week, and Lanisha is going to be baptized, and so we're really excited to celebrate with her. It's huge, huge, huge blessing. Um, and so yes. We had a baptism a few weeks ago, and yes, we're having another one next week. So, there could be nothing greater to celebrate. So, we're super excited about that. Um And so, we can't wait for you guys to join us back here. If you will stand, I do have a benediction from the book of Jude. <laughs> a pandemic. Picnic. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, you, okay. Yeah, we'll get info out about a picnic next week after service. So, if you'll extend your hands, this comes from Jude one twenty four through twenty five.